Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. If you haven't already, check out Necronomapod on CastBox, a top podcast app on iOS and Android with more than 28 million users worldwide. CastBox has a brand new way to find content you'll love. Just enter a keyword or phrase and the app searches the show titles and transcripts of every single episode to deliver exactly what you're looking for. Download CastBox today and see for yourself. In part three of our look at Scientology, we'll complete our exploration into the life of L. Ron Hubbard. We'll follow Hubbard as he sets sail on the seas and talk about the ways he punished his followers for their wrongdoings. We'll also explore his theory on a certain alien, members taking orders from 13-year-olds, Scientology attacking its critics, and how they managed to infiltrate the federal government. If there's one thing this episode teaches us, it's that at least these morons aren't sexual predators. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought parts one and two of this sordid tale were off the rails, stick around. We're finally, finally going to meet Xenu. This is Necronomapod. L. Ron Hubbard, the father of Scientology, claimed that humans are immortal spiritual beings composed of body, mind, and spirit. But he also claimed that 75 million years ago, an evil galactic ruler named Xenu killed billions of his people by sending them to Earth in space planes. You can understand why some people might feel this is, at best, pretty unconventional, and I guess at worst, just plain out there, right? I, I can understand that, certainly, Katie. That just has no uh, no basis in, in reality. This is one of those things that gets spread around, one of those old stories so that gets never, run around. So he never wrote about that? that? No, not, not, not in those terms. Dave, do you know what coprophilia is? Coprophilia? Yeah. Is this something to do with fecal matter? It is an arousal to feces. Nice. I like how you guessed that right <laughs> yeah, off the bat. Not sure how I knew that, but... <laughs> Man, I don't want to finish this conversation. <laughs> I'm looking at the 46 sexual fetishes you've never heard of, except for Dave, who's heard of that. <laughs> um, I should have practiced this first. Formicophilia? Like to bang on formica tables? <laughs> it's an arousal to insects? Hmm. Like you like beetles in your twat or something like that? I guess so. That would be tough. Like imagine being outside in the summertime and there's bugs flying around. Yeah, and yeah. Just walking around with a hard on brought to you by Blue Chew. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's dream is to get a Blue Chew ad. It really, I want that ad. They've ignored us thus far. Yeah. We have to start tagging them in our posts. Uh, gerontophilia. Like that's, old people, gerontology, arousal to arousal to elderly. Mm. Uh, oh, this one, cat. How, I don't know how to fuck say this. Catoprotonophilia. I don't know how to say it. Whatever. It's arousal to sleeping people to have sex in front of mirrors. Oh, that's not bad. It reminds me of a uh, American Psycho. Oh, he likes watching himself in the mirror, where he's like pointing at himself. Yeah. 
Great movie. That's right. Yeah. yeah. See, he probably was whatever that word is. What else you got? I can't pronounce any of these. Just do your Par- homework. Partialism. Partialism. Arousal to a body part other than the reproductive organs. And it says, for example, calves. Oh. Hmm. So, yeah, that's weird. Like, that seems pretty common. I like like yeah, you could be like you could like a girl's legs or like a guy, girls can like, like a guy's arms yeah or stomach yeah it's There's pretty that one it's pretty common yeah but like the, how was that one no one's ever heard of yeah that website's not accurate are you on a church website or something <laughs> Pi- pygophilia arousal to the buttocks yeah okay if you're an ass man or an ass female urophilia arousal to urine or urinating others golden showers. Yeah, I was expecting something that's not on a regular porn website that's not a category. Yeah, these are all uh, voyeurism, <laughs> exactly. arousal to spying on others for sexual gratification. Sure. Mm-hmm. Peeping Toms. It's you looking in windows. What episode was He's that? like, is that illegal? Yeah. Wait, that's not illegal, is it? <laughs> Just trying to have I've never fun. been arrested. Well, so that was a bust. I thought that was going to be more fun. <laughs> Fucking heard of all of those. Except that, right. that insect one's a little weird. That one's strange. Do you think yeah. you get off on like mosquito bites then? You're like, oh, mm. oh, oh. <laughs> that's rough. That's, yeah. that's I'm trying to think of that in my head. And that's, that's wild. Or like any time like in the summer, like you said, when you look out your window and you see like lightning bugs, you're just like, oh, God. So you get <laughs> like my blue chew? So you, you get like educational books on bugs and stuff, and that's your- that's your uh, porn? Yeah. <laughs> jerking off to like uh, Discovery <laughs> Channel so books. Sticky. <laughs> Head over to the library and get a book on spiders or yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, what was the, well? I, Ian, a spider's an arachnid, not an insect, so oh, you right. know, yeah, Boom. that's a different phobia. <laughs> phobia. Um, and then I don't think we said this one on the air. We talked about this before. Acrotomophilia. Acrotomophilia is arousal to amputees. It's that's different. That's a different one. I mean, I guess it's possible. Well, you stumped us. <laughs> 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 oh. That's terrible. I just think of <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, Forrest Gump. I know you guys don't because you haven't seen the movie and shit on the movie. And I mean, I've, I've seen it. It just wasn't good. Forrest Gump was a part of many things. One thing he was not a part of is Scientology. No? He was smarter than most Scientologists, I think. Wow. Been Bold per- call? I think that's been proven. We should also probably start this episode off by clarifying that we lied a, tit, uh, a teensy bit. Mm-hmm. We initially thought this was going to be a three-part series, but there's just so much information that we're going to take this to a fourth part. So we're not going to conclude the story today, but we're going to get yeah. into some fun stuff. And this this outline was even edited down a little bit. So a lot going on here. Yeah, a lot of information in this story. We assumed that the, you, the listeners, didn't want 16 parts on Scientology. Right. Spent the better part of four months doing one subject <laughs> how many listeners after hearing this four-parter are going to go join scientology do you think any zero zero and i think some scientologists will hear this and actually quit really because we're going to enlighten them it's my prediction uh where we last left off with uh with Elron, scientology was banned from australia which caused an investigation by england I'm trying to get dirt on the on the people in england that were investigating he hired private investigators and that backfired on him. So he decided that the best option would be to take a boat out to sea. But before he did that, he issued a letter that would become basically the foundation of turning Scientology into a true cult and justify them using the fair game law. It really justified them doing anything. 
And the know. fair game law we talked about what was that last week, which right. is if you like insult them or put them down, it's fair game for them to destroy you. Right. It's like protect Scientology by any means necessary. Right. Yeah. Basically. This document was called Keeping Scientology Working, which is referred to KSW in Scientology speak. KSW lays out 10 points concerning the exact application and preservation of the standard tech in Dianetics and Scientology and the eradication of non-standard tech. And the, the tech is their beliefs. There's no real technology involved. So the first one, having the correct technology which is knowing all the teachings laid out by Hubbard, knowing the technology, which is you're passing all your sec checks. Didn't I put Mike through a sec check last week? Yes. He passed, I guess. All right. Yeah. Still in. You can say he passed. Yeah. He kind of. So I, I knew my technology. Well, we reviewed it later, and it seemed like you may have had sexual intercourse with a family member based oh, yeah. on your answers because you admitted to that. And do you remember that? In real life? <laughs> no. I don't remember much of that episode. <laughs> Look, it takes a lot of alcohol to get through Dianetics. <laughs> so, yeah, knowing the technology, knowing it is correct, which means you've cleared everything, the, the needle on the e-meter is floating in the middle, you're perfect, you're, you're, you've, you're clear. Teaching the correct technology, this means you've become an expert auditor, you pass all the classes, and you hit 40 on the tone scale. Which, if I recall, means you're better than Jesus at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty important. Applying the technology. You're now using the tech in everyday life, and you're able to spread the word to Scientology to, uh, to outside members. You're See, allowed to recruit, essentially, at that point. Right. Did they ever go door-to-door like Jehovah Witnesses? I don't know. I, I don't recall so. seeing that. You I, come uh, to Scientology. They yeah. don't come to you. Well, I mean, I've seen things and, and heard some stuff like down in Clearwater where where it's real big is mm-hmm. they'll hand out flyers on uh, on the beach and stuff. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like when there's um like tragedies or something like I know some of the mass shootings and things mm-hmm. they've shown up with a tent and kind of they Do always disguise works. it underneath different things. They're never it never just flat out says Scientology is here to do something. It's always. You know, they'll disguise things as like a science fiction contest for writing to get yeah, younger yeah, yeah. people involved. And then you do it and you're like, oh, wait, this is Scientology. This is nice. See ya. Yeah. This is the prize I wanted. <laughs> right. So, yeah, applying the technology, you're spreading the word. Seeing that the technology is correctly applied. This is about ratting out other Scientologists for having contacts with PTSs, which is a potential trouble source, or an SP, which is a suppressive person. That's what caused, like, that started to cause the downfall of uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, is because her dad was a uh, big time psychologist over in Australia. And oh, really? And they don't believe in, in psychology. Yeah. So she was labeled by the church as a PTS, as a potential trouble source. Interesting. And yeah. he chose the uh, Scientology over her. Yeah. They treat him like a fucking god over there. It's pretty wild. Hammering out existence of incorrect technology. And this says that anything or anybody that isn't Scientology should be and can be destroyed. You mean like the Holocaust? That's like Holocaust language. Yeah. That's... Th- th- it gets dark at that, at that. These last two, the one right before, and then this one is like, 
it's getting pretty it's getting weird at that point mm-hmm. it's like wait what knocking out incorrect applications this is going after people who try to teach scientology outside of the church they call this squirrel busting. I think we talked about it before. Yeah. Maybe it got edited out. They have those hats, those squirrel buster hats <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah, because Hubbard called them, uh, if you were doing that, you're a squirrel if you're taking it outside. <laughs> Closing the door on any possibility of incorrect technology. It's pretty repetitive. And then closing the door on incorrect applications. Again, it's it's pretty repetitive. Those last two are really repetitive hammering out the existence of incorrect technology is getting pretty dark at that point. That's over the line there. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, saying that the fair game should be taken to, you know, any means necessary. And it's weird. It's like, um, you know, that thing with Tom Cruise that leaked the training video where he's wearing the black turtleneck and all that stuff. He's talking about like KSW and how everybody should, you know, all Scientologists should apply this to their lives and and follow through with KSW and what the world would be like if there's no SPs in the world and stuff. It's like you're talking about destroying people that don't believe what you believe. Like it's really pretty terroristic. It's a little strange. Yeah. How does Tom Cruise get away with that in Hollywood? It's just I don't understand why it's so prevalent and it's, it's weird pairing, I think. I mean, he's a good actor, but he's got some really strange fucking ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the Matt Lauer interview where he got all pissed off with Matt Lauer about psychology yeah, and stuff. I remember that too, yeah. yeah. Jumping on the couch. <laughs> he was off the deep end there for a minute. No, the Oprah yeah. was jumping on the couch, wasn't it? Yeah, Oprah. Yeah, yeah. he's jumping on the couch. Yeah, he's like he, grabbing he her hands and shit and like <laughs> pushing on her. He lost it for fucking a while. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> I That's would. where he said, don't be glib, Matt. Let's not be glib, Matt. <laughs> okay, buddy. Sit down, tough guy. You're like five foot six. <laughs> yeah, he was not happy with Matt Lauer. He got heat with Australia and England with the um, with the fair game stuff. And KSW would make Germany kind of turn their heads and be like, wait, what? Because <laughs> there's a specific quote in there that says, quote, we'd rather have you dead than incapable talking about spreading KSW. So Germany's like, we're not doing this again. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) With this in place and setting up that members should no longer believe in anything but Scientology, Hubbard bought a couple boats and started the Sea Org. The Sea Org was and still is the elite members in Scientology, not not the celebrities, but the high-ranking members. During the late 60s, early 70s, it was the only place you could go to learn directly from Hubbard. He called himself the Commodore and named the ship the Apollo and said he would be furthering his research while out at sea. Did he have a large library on these boats to do this research? No. But then people go, well, where, what are you doing research? <laughs> I don't think they question it. <laughs> you don't do that in a cult. So this was like the first like cruise. Like Kiss does a cruise. <laughs> Jericho does a cruise like they're like the first ever like Scientology cruise That's right. we'll do a Necronama cruise at some point in the future dude that would be awesome yeah like four days or something and we do like a live show each day yeah I say we do a cruise to the Bermuda Triangle Mm. interesting we're all here take us see what happens that's when the UFOs will show up and try to take Ian. Yeah. Well, he'd love it. <laughs> Get that all recorded. We'll stay on the cruise. And drink. Right. Send your down payment of $1,000 to Never Know Pod. Book your cabin today. 
yeah, the only problem with this uh this Scientology cruise was this was this shit lasted for like eight to ten years. So this wasn't a, a four day cruise here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> week's over. I want to go home. <laughs> eight to ten years. Holy cow! But if you watch some of those documentaries, those people loved it. They said it was awesome. Yeah, they were super pumped. Yeah, still to this day. Yeah. Talking about how they thought he was a god. Was it the dirty rags they had to wear or getting thrown overboard at 6 a.m.? Teaser alert for like two paragraphs from now. When Hubbard established the Sea Org, he publicly declared that he had relinquished his management responsibilities. This wasn't true. He received daily uh, teletext messages from Scientology organizations around the world reporting their statistics and income. The church sent him $15,000 a week, and millions of dollars were transferred to his bank accounts in Switzerland. Did he publicly declare that just as like in a hopes to get people off his back? Yeah, just be like, yeah, I'm not the, not the guy anymore kind of thing. Hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Members arrived regularly, bringing him high-end food for him and his family or cash that had been smuggled from England to avoid currency export mm. restrictions. Was he sharing this food, or were the other people eating beans and swabbing yeah, the deck? Then, he's up there eating caviar. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's kind of like a Jim Jones situation. Yeah. He's living the high life, and everybody else is kind of barely making. But you said that they loved it, so maybe they were eating okay. I don't know. It's all you can eat sushi, right? You're on a boat. Let's throw the spear in the water. Yeah, pull out some tuna. Tom Hanks learned it just fine in Castaway. <laughs> yeah, when he throws the yeah. thing. In. It's a good movie. I was like, yeah, we got it. We got it. Well, he looked like he was he was struggling for a minute. So not not long after being on the Apollo, Hubbard came up with the infamous OT three, which he called the Wall of Fire. He claimed that while doing the research for this, um, which he compared it and called it like he was breaking through a wall of fire to to do this research, that he had broken his back, his knee, and one of his arms. So these injuries were a, a like a physical manifestation of injuries he received while doing this research. Yeah, like while auditing, whatever. <laughs> <It's> so stupid. <laughs> like, I just I I try to picture this in my head, and I'm like, like what's he do? Like come out of his cabin in the ship, like limping and shit, and like oh, I tear his clothes up a little bit. <laughs> broke my knee last unbelievable last night breaking through the wall of fire. Like, Get some ash from like the candles and like put it on your face. <laughs> You just picture him up there in his cabin where he was feet up, smoking a cigar, figuring out how to fuck with people, mm -hmm. essentially. Probably was doing more than just smoking cigars. <laughs> so this is this is the famous one. This is uh this is where we get into Xenu. When you get to OT three, this is like the sacred thing, supposedly. It's like they bring out this briefcase and it's got this handwritten <laughs> all this is handwritten from from Hubbard and you read it, put it back in and then it's done. And it's weird because you Xenu's never brought up again after this and all the OT levels you go up again. It's never even mm. spoke of again. Do you remember Paul Haggis and the going clear mm -hmm. St steering clear, going clear, going or uh, yeah, going clear the documentary. Mm -hmm. The director Paul Haggis was talking about when he opened this OT three and he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just, just deranged fucking scribbling. That mean you know, yeah, crazy writing. I think he talked about it when when you you get to this level, you're hundreds of thousands of dollars into yeah, this at this sure. point. So it's like you read it, you're like, eh, all right, but and then <laughs> can't really get my money back now. So and I believe other, this, I guess now. Well, yeah. And the other thing too is, um, it's a really small percentage of 
people involved in Scientology that have even gotten to this point. So um, the majority of members are like, with the Xenu thing, they're like, well, we've never even read that before. So yeah. what the fuck are you talking about with the Xenu stuff? All right, let's talk some Xenu. Yep. Dave's been waiting for this for three weeks. <laughs> it's the weeks. best part. It's, and it's this crazy. is what they really shit on in South Park, right? Yeah, yeah. They, this, where they flash to this. Where it's flashing. Really yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so Xenu was the ruler of a galactic confederacy 75 million years ago, which consisted of 26 stars and 76 planets, including Earth, which at that time was known as Tijiak. <laughs> you still with us, folks? <laughs> it's already good. Keep up. The planets were overpopulated, containing an average population of 178 billion. That's like New York City now, right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> that's some good research he did, though. They have that. That's a pretty specific number. Yeah. An average population. <laughs> the Galactic Confederacy civilization was comparable to our own, with aliens, quote, walking around in clothes which looked very remarkably like clothes that they wear in this very minute and using cars, trains, and boats looking exactly the same as those, quote, circa 1950s, 1960s on Earth. <laughs> so everything just looked the same, but we're but millions of years yeah. ago. It's 75 million years ago. Ridiculously unoriginal. I mean, <laughs> how, how ridiculous? Xenu is about to be deposed from power, so he devised a plot to eliminate the excess population. With the assistance of psychiatrists, he, and this is where you get that whole psychiatrist or evil shit, he gathered billions of his citizens under the pretense of income tax and <laughs> Hold on. You can't even read it. It's so stupid. I like how there's these little um these just little th hints of like shit that he's pissed off about, like sprinkling right. like tax issues and shit. <laughs> the evil IRS. <laughs> It's going to like drop something in here about there being too many handicapped spots at Walmart. There should be less. But this is what Xenu was mad about 75 million years ago. So, yeah, he was going to gather everybody up under the this guise of income, income tax inspections. Then paralyzed them and froze them in a mixture of alcohol and glycol to capture their souls. Is that like they did the Han Solo? Froze them in the... Uh... Yeah, no, no, nobody watches Star Wars, Dave. <laughs> what is that from, like, the 70s? Well, yeah. <laughs> the kidnapped populace was loaded into spacecrafts for transport to the site of extermination, the planet of TGAC, which is Earth. So they brought everybody here. That's like how we kind of shipped all the prisoners to Australia. He's shipping them all to Earth. Similar. So yeah. we're kind of a penal... <laughs> we're a penal <laughs> flat a Earth. Ground. We're a flat Earth of... <laughs> what do they drink in australia dave is it fosters australian beer it's beer <laughs> beer it's like a new thing every episode now anyways so these these spacecrafts were, were kind of interesting how he described them they well he described them as being uh look like douglas dc8s which are pretty standard planes that we have yeah back in the 50s and 60s <laughs> huh? that's weird <laughs> but the only difference being quote the dc-8 had fans and propellers on it and the space plane didn't so <laughs> they had to do interplanetary <laughs> so, travel see, yeah. so they look just like the dc-8s but, but they're different yeah. though they're right, different. just a little different when they had reached tgac the paralyzed citizens were offloaded and placed around the bases of volcanoes across the planet 
Hydrogen bombs were then lowered into the volcanoes and detonated simultaneously, killing all but few of the aliens. How do a few survive that? Uh, Maybe they dug a tunnel underground. And they were supposed to be frozen, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Also, how did they survive being frozen? Ah, I have questions. They didn't. They didn't. Here, I'm going to I'm going to explain uh, that to you. See, <laughs> I've got questions. He's got answers. <laughs> the now disembodied victim souls. So they're dead, and their souls are are out. Uh, which hover called thetans. I was just going to say, aren't those thetans? Yeah, we we touched on them in in um. In last, the last, last part, it, it, uh, OT, that was one of the few things that somewhat made sense yeah. in Dianetics. So OT one gets you into the realm of Thetans, and this is explaining to you where these Thetans came from. This is the origin story, right? And then the Thetans. Well, go ahead. You can yeah. do your thing. And the victim souls were Thetans. Were blown into the air by this hydrogen bomb blast. They were captured by Xenu's forces using a, quote, electronic ribbon and sucked into, quote, vacuum zones around the world. <laughs> Are you with us? Are you with us, folks? <laughs> around the world being TGAC. Which is Earth. That they just blew up with hydrogen bombs. They blew up the volcanoes. Okay. Earth is here. We're, we're hanging out. We're, yeah, here. we're here still. Okay. Right? <laughs> I got I, It all makes sense. The hundreds of billions of captured Thetans were taken to a type of cinema where they were forced to watch a, quote, 3D super colossal motion picture for 36 days. That's a long movie. Were they at the... At, so it was kind of like a drive-in movie theater with all those 50s and 60s type cars they had back then? Uh, Yeah, I don't... I don't. Well, no. I don't know what planet they were on that looked like the 50s. It wasn't Earth. Oh, they that's brought, right. They brought them here. So a movie that's lasting 36 days, is that a Scorsese or a James Cameron? (laughs) (laughs) One of those two. They're fucking forever. Who were the famous directors in the days of Thetans? Mm. That's a great question. I know, right? It could have been Scorsese or James Cameron, and then the Thetans jumped to now their current (laughs) body, right? Sure. Because aren't Thetans, they jump from life to life. Clearly anything's possible at this point. (laughs) We could literally just say anything and tie it in, and it's going to... Yes be as logical as what they're saying. So this implanted what Hubbard termed, quote, various misleading data into the memories of the Thetans, quote, which has to do with God, the devil, space opera, etc. <laughs> this included all world religions. Hubbard specifically attributed Roman Catholicism and the image of the crucifixion to the influence of Xenu. So oh, I all, believe that. All this nonsense that we know, not even, not just nonsense, but just... A lot of different stuff that we uh, that we think is parts of society has really just been brainwashed into the Thetan. The Thetan attached itself to us, which gives us the memory. So, well, I mean, he did the research. <laughs> Who are we to disagree, right? He was on sea at the sea for what eight years? Yeah, he broke his back and his knee and his arm. He yes. suffered to find out all of this of stuff. I I think I'm a Scientologist, guys. <laughs> I'm going to get audited as soon as part four drops. (laughs) So these two implant stations, which is where these uh, Thetans were watching the movie, Hubbard said that they would have been located on Hawaii and the Canary Islands. Okay. All right. Good a place as any. I guess. Sure. Isn't that what they blew up, though, with the volcanoes? Like, wouldn't Hawaii be an area that might be... Quite possibly. ...tore up a little bit? Maybe Hawaii was one piece of land, and they blew it up, and that's why it's islands now. I just... I, I you just solved, solved it. I solved geography. <laughs> all I solved of, all the geography. geography. 
That's it. What was it? Uh, what's it called when all the continents were still connected? Pangea. Fuck. Pangea. See? It we wasn't it. Pangea. It was the hydrogen bombs in the volcanoes, hmm. I think. Good band, Breaking Pangea. Is that for real? Yeah. Who do you like better, them or Asking Alexandria? Well known as your favorite band. Breaking uh, Breaking Pangea. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't actually like Asking Alexandria. I no. just say he does. It's funny to me. So in addition of implanting these new beliefs in the Thetans, images deprive them of their sense of personal identity. When the Thetans left the projection areas, they started to cluster together in groups of a few thousand, having lost the ability to differentiate between each other. Each cluster of Thetans gathered into one of the few remaining bodies that survived the explosion. These became what are known as body Thetans which are said to be still clinging to and adversely affecting everyone except Scientologists who have performed the necessary steps to remove them. And you brought it all back around. Yeah. A government faction known as the Loyal Officers finally overthrew Xenu and his renegades and locked him away in a, quote, electronic mountain trap from which he has not escaped. So he's still there? I, I guess, yeah. Huh. Although the location of Xenu is sometimes said to be in the Pyrenees on Earth, this is actually the location Hubbard gave elsewhere for an ancient, quote, Martian report station. <laughs> okay. Tijiak was subsequently abandoned by the Galactic Confederacy and remains a pariah prison planet to this day. See? Although it has suffered repeatedly from incursions by alien invader forces since that time. Like lately? Uh, They're still in, trying to invade? I guess. Huh. It's a question for the government, Dave. So this know. is really all meant to be taken literally, then? Scientology says no. Can mm. we... Do you think we could do, like, a bonus episode where we interview Tom Cruise? Yeah. <laughs> and just talk to him about this? He's not doing know. anything else these days, is he? Uh, I don't know. Isn't he, isn't there, isn't he Mission Impossible? Isn't that is there him? a new one? I don't know. I just always assume there's a Mission Impossible mm. coming out. The last one was not that great. I've never seen any of them. Me either. Surprise, surprise, I haven't seen any of them. So I feel like during his research at some point, mm -hmm. it's not too far out of the ordinary that while, you know, he's sleeping in his big comfy bed on his ship, like uh, Elrond wakes up in the middle of the night and sees like this thing in the sky. And he's like, Xenu? Z El Elrond? <laughs> Xenu, is that you? It is me, Xenu, Elrond. What, what are you coming to me for? I want you to tell my history. What Wh the fuck are you doing out at <laughs> sea all these years? I'm doing my research. I'm, I'm you don't have any books, Elrond. I've written several books. Fiction. You can read them. Science fiction? <laughs> Why don't you start a religion, Elrond? That's a great idea. Can I base it around you, Xenu? <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Why don't you base it around Tom Cruise? That's a great idea. Maybe he can play you in a movie. That's a great idea. Are you five foot six? <laughs> The great Xenu is 10 foot 10. Well, we'll stack them two on top of each other. CGI. <laughs> Scientology created CGI, I think. It's researched. <laughs> I, get, I don't know. I got nothing. It's going off the rails here. We'll just take it from there. So in in uh, 1988, the cost of learning these secrets from the Church of Scientology was around uh, $6,500. And this was in addition to the cost of prior courses, which are necessary to be eligible for OT3. Prerequisites, if you will. Yeah, which is uh, well over $100,000. You're pushing 
probably like 300,000 at this point. And I could tell how loaded these guys are. Yeah. The belief in Xenu and body thetans is, is a requirement for Scientology to progress further along what they call the bridge to total freedom. Uh, those who do not experience the benefits from OT3 are expected to take it again and pay for it again. They give you a test at the end to make sure? How's that work? Yeah, I, I, um, I don't fully understand what you're supposed to gain from this. Well, they're going to gain money off of you. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, I'm, I don't, I, I couldn't really fi- find or figure out what the spiritual or whatever benefits yeah. to this was. But if you don't get whatever they expect you to get out of it, then you got to take your ass back down the bridge and uh, figure it out again. <laughs> back to OT2, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like we said before, Paul Haggis, I wonder what they, do they fake it? Because he's like, this is just fucking gibberish. I, I would assume, yeah. yeah. Probably because everyone else think they're like, oh, I'm, everyone else must understand this, so I yeah. don't have to fake it. And every meanwhile, everyone's faking it because they don't want to be the, the idiot that didn't, you <laughs> yeah, know, that, it didn't work that for one them. Guy. Well, that's what the past lives thing is when people are saying they're auditing and they're going back and like, oh yeah, I was just you know doing whatever. They're just making things up, and right. it's just yeah. Well, they have past lives. I must have past lives too. <laughs> I want to have more past lives than they have. <laughs> Sounds about right. Being a member of the Sea Org also introduced an infamous document that all Sea Org members have to sign called the Billion Year Contract. Because Hubbard promoted the idea of reincarnation, members are expected to return to the Sea Org when they're reborn. <laughs> and the Sea Org's motto is, quote, we come back. How um, do they find their way for back? For a modest billion years, you're expected <laughs> to come back. Yeah, It's not too much to ask for your time. Yeah, Scientology like refutes this thing, and they say like it's not... Um, it's not really a contract. It's just more of a symbol, uh, symbolic. Uh, so they are admitting that you have to sign this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. They're like, well, we don't really mean it. But if you could please sign in pen. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into part in part four. We'll get into how that gets a little. Uh, it gets murky with child labor and and some some other things that are pretty questionable with how they have people work mm. for free. So after signing, members report to the Estates Project Force, which is the Sea Org's induction program. And members take it can take several years before between signing the commitment and actually attending the induction. And once once the induction is complete, the final decision to join is made. It's a lot of fancy terms. It's very confusing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Members who leave the Sea Org are issued a freeloader's bill. <laughs> retroactively billing them for any auditing or training they received while in the Sea Org. Fucking freeloaders. Yeah. Do they have to pay for all their past lives freeloading too? (laughs) God damn. Maybe. Elrond's like, well, I'm seeing that you lived 800,000 years worth of lives. Except cashier checks. This whole freeloader thing still goes on to this day. I mean, that's that's a current thing with them. And the billion year contract is not legally binding. Oh, I mean, it's not. No. <laughs> you don't say. So, um, <laughs> do we know how many people are in the Sea Org? Because didn't we talk about what about fifty thousand members of Scientology right now? Actually, it's lower than that. I was reading online that it's estimated between twenty thousand and thirty thousand at this point. And Sea Org is the top echelon. Yeah, you're probably talking a couple thousand people. Mm. If that, oh, I didn't even think that much. If if that. Um, it's a big ass cruise ship. Well, that nowadays it's not a cruise. Right. Yeah. A, yeah. Back then, I don't. It wasn't that that many people. Yeah. 
really. I would say it'll probably die out soon, but you know, Mormonism's still here. That's just as wacky. I think when there's that yeah. much money, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. They own science, so they're living forever. <laughs> Tom Cruise gets better with age or looks better with He's age. He's aging so. backwards. Yeah. Benjamin Button. Mm. Spoiler or uh, surprise, I've not seen that movie. I haven't either. Oh, it's great. <laughs> is that is oh, it Brad awesome. Pitt? Yeah. yeah. I would see it. It looked okay. I like that movie a lot. Because it wasn't the billionaire contract is obviously not not real, uh, not legally can be enforced. They just tell you you're not allowed back in Scientology unless you pay the bill and perform more ethics courses to get yourself back. To, okay. You know. I wonder how much they value that experience at. Probably like a three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> or something, right? Aside from doing his research and, and teaching new courses, Elrond said he was starting the Hubbard Geological Survey Expedition, which was going back to the idea of him doing these uh, fake explorations <laughs> that he used to do. What this really turned into was Hubbard would sail port to port around the world looking for gold that he had hidden in his past lives. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> that looks like a spot I might have pl- uh, <laughs> hid something. Children, dig. <laughs> He would draw up maps for members to search when they docked the ship, but I mean, spoiler alert, there was never any gold found. <laughs> Seriously? Never? Not one time? Somebody finds a quarter, they're like, this is it! <laughs> this is it! He would also gather Sea Org members at night to tell him stories about his past lives. One of his stories was that he was a race car driver millions of years ago in a time that looked like the Xenu story where it looked like 1950, <laughs> but they had space travel. <laughs> so stupid. He, he was called the Green Dragon and uh, set a speed record, bef- speed record before being killed in an accident. Then he came back at life after that as the Red Devil, beat that previous record, and then died again in, a, in, a, in an accident. <laughs> He's not a very good race car driver, is he? He set the speed record. Come yeah. on. He keeps dying. Unrelated accidents. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, they're two separate lives. Um, then he came back again as the blue streak. <laughs> I almost just spit my beer out. <laughs> Beat the record for a third time. Ooh. And then died <laughs> in an accident. This is the most ridiculous thing. I think we need to have a bonus episode where we all just talk about our past life experiences. Oh, that'd be good. And then in the life after the blue streak, he realized that he was just doing the same thing over and over again. So he stopped the whole race car driving thing and and then just went about whatever was going on. He realized that all of his past lives he had been a race car driver. I guess. And didn't learn from the fact that he died multiple times from race car driving and maybe I should do something else. Unrelated to race car driving. The but, accidents were so just those were just streetcars. Motherfucker can drive 300 miles an hour, but then you know he makes a illegal turn and gets t-boned and dies on Main Street. Well, Mike, it was 1950s, so there was no seatbelts yet, right? It's true, and you know with those cars going five miles an hour, <laughs> like the ones you just like crank the back to get started. It's not the f- 1915, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, that's true. The first one was like the, like the 50s. Yeah. I'm thinking he's cranking these. I'm thinking he's cranking something. <laughs> um, I do boat. like that he can control the like the respawning of your past life, though, and alter it because you want to change direction. That's pretty cool. I applaud the flexibility. Yeah. These adventures for gold and, the, and these stories were considered good times in the Sea Org, but they were pretty slim. 
that's mainly based on the fact that they didn't know how to sail a ship of that size. <laughs> um, was he the actual captain? Was he steering the ship himself? Yeah, so that's that's the weird thing about this is um, this is all based around his so-called Navy career that we know is an absolute failure. Where he was uh, artillerying an empty island that Mexico <laughs> yeah, owned. Right. Yeah. But in a sub-hunter, which is fairly small compared to a 3,000 uh, or 300,000 ton ship so no one knew what the hell they were doing this is like um shinrikyo when they buy the helicopter and then yeah, what yeah. the fuck they're doing like yeah we'll figure it out <laughs> the thing about How hard can it be <laughs> the thing about um shinrikyo that's a little different is they could never really get it off the ground this is super fucking unsafe because they're out they're in the, out middle of the water <laughs> um shinrikyo available in the archives <laughs> so he would like the yeah, he was the captain for you know, whenever, but there'd be times where he would like do auditing and he'd just come out and be like, you know what? He would just talk to somebody and be like, you know what? I was auditing and I saw in a past life that you did this and that. So now, now you're the captain and, <laughs> and people would be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> this is wild. Learn by doing, get on yeah. up there. I mean, maybe we'll find this out later, but where, where did all these stories come from? Were people keeping journals that they published later? Where are we getting all this information? Yeah. And there's people that like defected that okay. were part of it. And then like later on were like, you know, just defected. I, I know there's a woman in, um, in going clear that was part of the sea org that was there for like all the gold hunts yeah, and shit. Yeah. But so at this time too, like any good cult leader, he had a steady stream of amphetamines, which were keeping him going. <laughs> like any good cult leader. <laughs> Which made him super unpredictable. And like we said in Jonestown, if you're a paranoid asshole, the heavy amphetamine abuse is gonna gonna make that go through the roof yeah. and make you worse. So now we start getting into the punishments that Hubbard would issue out. Initially, if someone messed up, they would have to tie a dirty gray rag around their arm and they weren't allowed to bathe until Hubbard said so. <laughs> so <laughs> what a weird fucking punishment. They got stinky ass people on your boat. Yeah, it's That's a, punishing everybody. Yeah. Well, initially it started out with one. Maybe that was the point, though, because now we all get pissed at you, Dave, because you're smelling because you fucked up. And so we're going to throw rocks at you, you know, rocks that we find on the water. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, things got to the point where, um, like, if, like, there, I know there were things where they came close to hitting a bunch of rocks and shit because no one could drive the fucking boat. <laughs> right. So he got, he would get pissed and then he would throw this huge gray tarp up on the, what is he, what do you call that? The, is it the mast? The mast? Yeah. So you take down their flag and put a big gray tarp up. So now everybody's fucked. So instead of wearing the gray thing around your the arm, ship wears the whole ship's shame. done. So no one was allowed to bathe or clean the ship now. You're, you're done. Sounds uh, like a fantastic idea to, <laughs> and way to punish people. People are like, God damn it, I'm here for a billion years. <laughs> <laughs> that contract, man, I just can't get out of it. It got me. It, I, I think it was in part one we talked about that they kind of had a mascot like Mr. Or like Mr. Muggs. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody is like Mr. Muggs. Well, I mean, they had a mascot. An animal was a part of this boat. And that's where the similarities end. Elrond's <laughs> wife. Mary Sue had a corgi named Vixie that was on the ship. So when when Hubbard was pissed, even the corgi got a gray rag tied around <laughs> his neck. It's like the corgi's fucked too. Everybody's Jeez. everybody's in trouble. Poor dog. <laughs> was this corgi running the fuck schedule? No, but we'll get to it in a little bit. The corgi actually becomes uh, declared clear later on. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. Good for the corgi. Yeah. Motherfucker made it. 
so accidents continued to happen around the ship and then we we go from this this not bathing things to where members would be locked in closets for who knows how long and only being given food in a bucket or they would be sent to the bottom of the ship to chip paint for 24 to 48 hours without a break so i mean it's not great chip paint yeah, I mean, it's not great. It's not um, Shinrikyo level punishment where we're killing people mm. and, you know, but yeah. It's, Could be worse, I guess. Yeah. But the most ridiculous punishment that he came up with was that they would just throw people overboard if you pissed them off. Which <laughs> <laughs> is just outrageous. Walk the plank, motherfucker. <laughs> Get out. Ronnie's not happy. <laughs> people got back on the boat and no one drowned that we know of. But I mean, that we know. I'm sure their records weren't very well kept. What? Go ahead. No, go ahead. What would be like the wrongdoings? Like what would piss them off? Like what? Just doing the tech wrong. You're fucking up in your auditing. Yeah. I not, told you to get clear, motherfucker. Yeah. You're not doing KSW correctly. Okay. Throwing people overboard became a daily thing for the Sea Org. And every day a list would be posted with names of people who were getting tossed. And <laughs> Wouldn't you just go hide somewhere on the ship? You would imagine so. Every day at 6 p.m., everyone would be gathered on the deck, and then Hubbard would read off a list of their crimes. Then they would start to chant, quote, We cast your sins and errors to the waves and hope you will arise a better Thetan. And then they would just fucking start throwing people <laughs> over. See ya! <laughs> Damn. Wait up! <laughs> When I imagined it in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, I would probably laugh initially <laughs> at that. But then, Until but, you fuck up the next day, you're going overboard. <laughs> but then I was like, read, I was reading more about it, and it wasn't like young people. I mean, there were like older women that definitely should not be thrown over a fucking ship into the ocean. And they're doing, they're doing what? Tossed. Eight years straight in all weather and climate. Like, what if it's freaking freezing out? You yeah. could die almost instantly. You're going to sure. shock instantly. Yeah. Bounce your head off the so, side. <laughs> bullshit that no one died because yeah. they absolutely did. But what if you can't swim? Yeah. I can't I, swim out yeah. in the deep water like that. Yeah. Even if, if the waves are tough, yeah. like you're fucked. Fuck I'm, not, I'm not a strong swimmer. I can doggy paddle and tread water. That is it. Not you for very me. long. I can't. Yeah. Now we'll, yeah, we'll not have to get thrown off a boat too. <laughs> I'm sure you're not going to be like clear of mind. It's not great, not great to do that to somebody uh, that's not not physically fit. Well, they didn't should have shouldn't have fucked up their tech. <laughs> should have kept did your KSW correctly. And yeah. So as they traveled country to country, they would uh, they would always eventually be kicked out or refused to even dock. Hubbard would show up places offering all the benefits of Scientology and return. He would want a position in their government, and then in his mind, he would eventually become the president. <laughs> And of course he would. Believe it or not, countries were were not on board with the with that idea. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, man! Like, what are you talking about? And like I know, like he at one point he tried to dock back in England. Like there was some storms going on, and they were like, you know, we got women and children on here, and England's like, yeah, eh, we, see you later. We'd rather see you fucking die. Get out of here. <laughs> You're not docking. No, yeah, we're not going for that. Bye. But this constant rejection only made the Sea Org, sea Org members more loyal to him, which would result in him creating the most loyal group of, of members, the Messengers. Dun, 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 dun. The Messengers started out as a group of girls aged 11 to 13 years old, 
who were in charge of delivering commands to members of the Sea Org. So people brought their whole families on board this thing? They had their daughters that were 11 years old? Yeah, and and especially nowadays, they'll like just let their kids go and be like by themselves on the Whew. to be part of the Sea Org. And I was listening, I can't remember what I was listening to about it, but it was like the family dynamic is not valued in Scientology because you're you've lived all these past lives you have thetans attached to you that had their own past lives and it's like the whole dynamic isn't you know it's like say your dad or something you're like well i've fucking lived this past life where i did all this shit and so i don't really have to listen to you kind of that's how Mm, i got it i it's really confusing you don't say yeah but they let their (laughs) kids they they do let their kids just go and before we go any further with this whole 11 to 13 year old girl thing, they, there's never been any allegations of sexual abuse going on from people who def- even from people who defected. So, so we are literally in part three of this uh, Scientology deep dive, mm-hmm. and we finally have our first check in the pro column. There you go. There was Hubbard no, was not doing diddling anything. any kids or any weird shit like that. Yeah, that we know of. Everybody, even like I said, even people that have defected said no. So see, Scientology's all right, my boy. I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not saying that all of Scientology's clear. I don't know about that, but Hubbard at least was nothing against him. He wasn't doing well, anything. Well, I just I mean And uh, well also too they there was things said that he wasn't having sex with uh Mary Sue either during he this wasn't time. Having sex. No. I think he was, well, yeah, I think he was impotent. Mangy from... Mutt didn't put a sex schedule together. He didn't know who he was supposed to be fucking. <laughs> I think he was impotent from the uh, all the amphetamine mm. abuse. That'll if only it. he had Blue Chew. <laughs> Blue Chew available <Yeah>. now. <laughs> Damn it, we need that sponsorship. It wasn't long before these girls were given full authority to, to act like Hubbard himself, and they, they were brutal. He created a, a group of monsters with these with these girls. They would like as if teenage girls weren't monsters enough. (laughs) (laughs) It was said like they would, they like started to like take over his, even like his tone of voice and shit. Like they sounded just like him, like little Mm. mini versions of him screaming at people. Can you imagine like you're on this boat, like you're doing minding your own business? This 13 year old girl just comes up and starts belittling you and like yelling at you. You can't do shit about it. You pick her up and throw over the fucking boat. Then your ass is getting (laughs) thrown over the boat. (laughs) <laughs> I'd probably just throw her in the yeah, see ya. I know where I'm going so I'm just gonna jump to maybe if I can give her an elbow drop on the way down I, I, yeah I mean that's what this this was basically is you're a grown man or a grown woman and you're gonna get told told off by this 13 year old girl and you're not gonna do shit about it cause she's uh, the messengers mm. are number one these that's girls crazy. became the only people that he tr- truly trusted interestingly he got this idea from Hitler because with young people, you could mold them however you wanted. So that was like yeah. the, the Hitler. Um... Always probably best to go to Hitler when looking for <laughs> guidance on how to do things. Right. Jesus, they had Holocaust talk earlier. Yeah. And, uh... yep. Right. Yeah, and these girls were with him at all times. They would, There were stories about like that he would have one walking next to him with an ashtray because he was like a two-pack-a-day smoker, <laughs> and they would just walk by him with an ashtray, and he would ash in it. They did everything for him. Can you imagine you finally, like, you make it to be, like, the messenger? You're in, like, this untouchable group, and you're on a fucking ashtray duty? 
Like you don't they get to probably go yell at people. It. You have to stand there and hold this fucking <laughs> ashtray. They probably loved it. Everybody else is living like shit and chipping paint in 24 True. hours. I'd rather be ashing or holding his ashtray. I guess so. Yeah. Are you allowed to switch hands at least? Because I, I feel like my arm would get real tired. Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. he was just like a like only his right side though. He'd ash with, and you got to stand there like fucking this the whole time. Your left arm's numb. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's just me. I'm a thinker though. <laughs> because he had this close relationship with these girls and all this authority, he was given to cause issues with his with his biological family, and we really didn't get into his other kids because it's. We didn't want to. I didn't want to get too overbearing with some of this shit. But with Mary Sue, he had four kids. He had a son named Quentin, two daughters, Diana and Suzette, and then another, and then another son, Arthur. Nibs. No, this is not like this. the older son was Nibs. Right, right. A particular incident in how Hubbard valued the messengers over his own family was when Diana, who was eighteen at the time, pissed off Hubbard for whatever reason. He went and told one of the messengers to go yell at her, but this time he told this girl, like on top of yelling at her, spit in her face. Damn! Just imagine it: this thirteen-year-old girl that your dad values more than you just busts into your room, spits in your face, <laughs> and then is yelling at you in your dad's tone of voice, just screaming at and you. And you can't do a damn thing. Nope. Or else your fucking ass is getting tossed off the side of the ship. It's crazy. It's a very strange dynamic. Yeah, the messengers is is. Uh, it's a weird, and we'll see what it at the end. By the end of this, we'll see what it turns into. But it's it's a weird uh, how there's multiple things throughout this whole story, even in part two, where that millionaire guy saved him from saved Dianetics from going under. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that happen here that if it didn't, then it would probably have fizzled out. Yeah. We'll, see, we'll see with the messengers how that how that kind of plays in again. So in 1972, word reached Hubbard that while they were docked in Morocco, that France was planning to extradite him on charges of fraud. Fraud? This guy? <laughs> this would be the end of the, of his uh, Sea Org adventures for the time being, and he went into hiding in Queens, New York. Hubbard got an apartment with one of his assistants and did nothing for the first couple weeks but watch TV. And just take all this stuff in that he missed out on because I mean, they had been out at sea. Like I said, this whole thing lasted for like eight to ten years. That is wild. Yeah. So he had no idea of anything that was going on in the world. But he has all these millions. No, why is he sitting in a little apartment in Queens hiding? Well, he was hiding out from the government, uh, and he also stayed inside most of the time because he he really stood out at this time. He had a super weird, long red hair and was balding in the top, and he he really resembled uh, Bozo the Clown. <laughs> and every time he tried to leave his apartment, he was met outside with a group of kids that would just harass him and make fun of him the whole time until he went out until he went of, back inside. A lot of kid bullies in this uh, episode today. Hey, Bozo, <laughs> what's with the Dianetics? They're like 45-year-old mafia men. <laughs> it sounded like these kids would just hang out outside and wait for him. As soon as he came out, they'd just start fucking with them. Can we do it high so pitch? <laughs> hey, Bozo, what's the matter with you? Can't you come out and see us? Face us like a man. Yeah, come right. on out, we're giving you the business. <laughs> I don't know. What do they say back then? Give them the business. (laughs) I got nothing. 
Hey, Zenu. <laughs> Get back in the house. <laughs> Why don't you audit my cock, Elrond? <laughs> I've got to love kids. They're so sweet. They say the darndest things. I could I could think of myself in that age range of like fifth grade to seventh grade. That would have been phenomenal to have an adult person to fuck with like that. That would be like afraid of you and run to just sit outside oh and God. fuck Terrible. with somebody. That's awful. <laughs> fuck this guy, though. He's an asshole. He deserved it. That's true. Yeah. I don't know why we're being sympathetic. Yeah. He deserves it. I think it's hilarious. Fuck him. Um, Ugly ass motherfucker. So how after- about I throw you overboard, <laughs> Elrond? I'll see if you like it. That Travolta's here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so after spending a year inside, hiding from the French government and this group of kids in Queens, uh, Hubbard went back out to sea with the Sea Org, and Operation Snow White was launched. This is a point in the story where shit stops being funny and gets uh, it's a little dangerous and pretty uh, pretty fucking crazy. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. Operation Snow White was Hubbard's plan to infiltrate the government to find out what they had on him. He started this thing called the Guardian Office to accomplish this, and it was headed by his wife, Mary Sue. The actual infiltration of the government likely began when two Scientology members, Gerald Wolf and Michael Meisner, were hired by the IRS as clerk typists. Under the direction of the Guardian office, Wolf monitored files on tax-exempt organizations and, when requested, illegally made copies for Scientology. Meisner supervised both Wolf and the Guardian office that they had located in D.C. and reported all of this stuff back to Scientology and mainly Mary Sue Hubbard. In November 1974, Operation Snow White took an unexpected turn when they received word that the IRS would be conducting a meeting on Scientology's tax-exempt status. In response, the church sent a spy to bug the room, and this device then transmitted a signal, which was picked up and recorded by Scientologists sitting in a car in a parking lot of the Smithsonian, which faced this office. That's crazy. Yeah. I I when I was reading this, I I knew that this happened, but I didn't know the uh the extent of how yeah. how deep this went. And it's arguably from what I was reading online, it's argued as being potentially like the biggest breach of the US government ever. It's it's fucking hmm. nuts. By the end of December, Wolf was stealing documents from the IRS's chief counsel's office. Just days after Christmas, Wolf broke into the office of Barbara Bird, who's an attorney for the IRS's refund litigation service. This Barbara Bird had been present at that November 1st meeting on their tax exempt status. And instead of stealing the files, this Wolf guy had the balls to take them to a copier made photo and made photocopies using government paper and then took them back to her wow. office. Doesn't this appear to be a shocking amount of access for a clerk typist? Yeah. How does this guy have all this access to these locked... Seems Area. very simple. Yeah. yeah. When I know when there was um like when they brought people in to interview and when they got caught and everything, a lot of the Scientologists were like, Yeah, it was really fucking easy to to just go in there and do what we did. It's amazing. Man. It's a little terrifying. <laughs> in early nineteen seventy five, Operation Snow White expanded again as Scientology member Sharon Thomas got employment at the US Coast Guard Intelligence Agency 
and Scientology member Nancy Douglas began work at the Drug Enforcement Administration. God damn. <laughs> yeah. Douglas stole copies and made photocopies of others, so they were all stealing, stealing documents. Attention had been called back to the IRS surveillances. Mary Sue Hubbard had instructed her team to, quote, use any method at our disposal to win the battle and gain our nonprofit status. So that was the end result here to get that exempt status. Exactly. Because they, I mean, throughout this whole story, Hubbard had never paid taxes on anything. When when um, when Hubbard died, and we'll get to it, Hubbard oh, dies. Spoiler alert, jeez. <laughs> Wait, he, did know. he live forever? Well, <laughs> yeah, I thought Zenu granted him immortality. <laughs> when this was taken over, when David Miscavige got the keys to this whole thing, they were, they owed a billion dollars in back taxes. Unbelievable. Yeah. So he never paid shit. Meisner was directed to implement this thing called Project Horn, which called for him to go in and steal documents that would kind of take heat off the Guardian office. So steal other do- steal stuff about documents that didn't pertain to Scientology. So it wouldn't look like, oh, someone's just taking Scientology mm-hmm. shit. There's all kind of shit. So it's just taken. one of yeah. many that were stolen. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's actually pretty smart. Yeah. It's not bad. Calls were also made for the theft of IRS stationery in order to forge letters from a fictional disgruntled IRS employee. The files on various organizations, including Scientology, would then be sent out attached to the fake letter. The idea was to appear that this pissed-off IRS agent was the one stealing shit. And mm, that's pretty smart, actually. Yeah. Good for you, Elrond. Wolf stole both uh, the stationery and, without permissions, files on the Unification Church and Bob Jones University. Just because? That maybe that's just what he had could get his hands on. I, I'm not sure why those two. Um, so you got against Bob Jones University. It's where it's another is. piece of shit school that should have their tax exempt status <laughs> revoked. I was about to say that's where Dave went. Ass clown school. I don't know. I've never heard of Bob Jones University. It's one of those fucking Jesus freaks in the South that used to ban you know interracial dating at their university and all kinds of stuff. Okay, it's still around. Yeah, I think I we'll talk about tax exempt status. Uh, Especially next week. I think once you get that, you're not going anywhere at that point. You're in for good. You really are. You're printing money at that point. Yep. On December 5th, 1975, Scientology issued Guardian Program Order 158, which (laughs) intended to give L. Ron Hubbard early warning of impending legal action. The plan called for the infiltration of government agencies that had either the power to issue or knowledge of impending subpoenas. After reviewing this letter, Meisner concluded it would be a better idea to infiltrate the Department of Justice. So, that's, of course, I mean that's like the balls on them. Yeah, it's crazy. Gerald Wolf and Michael Meisner were able to break in into a room and make false IRS identification cards, which allowed them access to the federal courthouse in Washington. Wolf and Meisner then used these cards to gain access to restricted areas and steal more documents. God damn, that's crazy. (laughs) In May, Wolf broke into the United States courthouse and stole keys to the office of Assistant United States Attorney Nathan Dodell. Wolf then took these keys to have them duplicated and returned them unnoticed. Three weeks later, Wolf and Meisner broke into Dodell's office, stealing documents and, as usual, forwarding them to to the Guardian headquarters in Los Angeles. 
using these fake ID cards, Wolf and Meisner continued stealing and copying documents until they started to raise suspicion from a night librarian at the United States courthouse. She reported her suspicions to the FBI, and she was told by them, if these guys ever come back, give us a call. Yeah. All this infiltration, and it's a fucking librarian who's like, yeah, right. something's not right. <laughs> Somebody's on the ball, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, librarian. Meisner and Wolf entered the United States courthouse on June 11th, around 7 p.m. in the evening. They signed in like they had done all the other times they went there and headed toward the library. The librarian recognized them immediately and stopped them. And Meisner was prepared for this and showed a letter from the head librarian, which was obviously forged on uh, on their on the letterhead. Wolf and Meisner continued to the back of the library where they exited into the hallway outside the Dell's office, and they saw um, and the two saw cleaning ladies were still working, so they had to wait. Yeah. So they're they're waiting for these cleaning ladies to get out of the office, and the night librarian called the FBI, which immediately sent two two agents over. After roughly twenty minutes of questioning, the FBI agents allowed them to leave. Meisner then called the Guardian office to inform them the news that they were getting questioned, and they were told to immediately fly back to L.A. On December sixth, nineteen seventy nine, some five years after Operation Snow White began, it it officially came to an end. Five years they were infiltrating. Yeah. All of this. That's a crazy story. I glossed over a lot because that thing, that whole story is like an episode in itself. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And I mean, when we cut out a lot of different offices they broke into and, you know, they get raided in 77 by the FBI and it was like 30,000 plus documents that FBI got from them while Operation Snow White was taking place. Scientology also had another operation going on against a journalist named Paulette Cooper. This is where we see how dangerous the fair game shit can be. She was an early critic of the church and published the book, The Scandal of Scientology in 1971. And she's the most most famous case of fair game being used. So what was her affiliation? Was she an ex-member or? She said an ex-boyfriend of hers. I I believe it was an ex-boyfriend she found out had gotten involved in Scientology mm. and was talking about in like in past lives that he actually found out <laughs> that he was Jesus or some, something oh, for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. not that out of the ordinary. So yeah. she started digging into it. And, uh, so she had like a winner. Like, that's a good one. It's a hot ticket item. A past life, you were Jesus. Oh, her You could have been a fucking race car driver who died three times <laughs> driving a race car. Or a not <laughs> a unrelated incident, as I've been told, from his little crank, crank mobile. <laughs> crank mobile. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> I was always in my room with my lotion. Called me, there's old Crankmobile over there. This was before I was Sir Laycock. <laughs> and the pussy whisperer. Oh, and the pussy whisperer. Because once was, you can whisper to the pussy, you don't need to be in your room alone anymore. There's no need to be cranking anything anymore. <laughs> I get it. When you can laycock and whisper at pussies. <laughs> you do not need that. You do need Blue Chew, however. <laughs> when you're going that many times a day, of course. Of course. Check them out at Blue Chew on Instagram. I don't think it is, actually. It's like, it's something, they have like a weird handle. You're just going to force them to give us a... <laughs> I almost started following them. I didn't. I'm going to start tagging them in all of our posts. Make them acknowledge us. We're giving them so much free exposure here. We're going to make you love us, Blue Chew. Yeah. We're going to make your dicks hard, Blue Chew. <laughs> 
Give us some money. We'll talk about you. I'll fucking take one on air. We'll talk about it. I, I would. I would. I would do that. We'll just see what comes up. <laughs> Anyways, blue chip. So when, when Scientology heard about Paulette Cooper's book coming out, they tried. They tried to stop the publication any way possible. They used their legal abilities to threaten her publisher with lawsuits. Uh, while she was visiting Scotland for a travel story, dozens of strangers staked out her hotel. Some followed her, photographed her, and even started calling or leaving her uh, harassing phone calls. In early 1972, the Guardian office memo referred to Cooper as, quote, an unhandled attacker of Scientology, and the group stepped up its surveillance and harassment. They started researching her past, her personal life, and like, even getting into her college grades, like anything that they could find on her. I embarrass you with your college grades. Yeah. It's like, C's get degrees, right, Mike? Am yeah. I right? If you saw my first semester, though, ooh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't know what class was first few months. Scientology ramped up the harassing phone calls and to threatening ones, and, uh, and there was damage found to her telephone line suggesting that someone had attempted to wiretap her. And that's all like basic. I mean, not basic. That's really scary to be harassed like that. It is absolutely. But and this, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, this is where this gets really fucked up. In 1972, the Guardian office officially launched Operation Dynamite to destroy Cooper's life. There's this critical sequence of developments and in, in these suspicious events that occurred during December 1972, and they'll kind of make sense more when we get into this. December 6. Paulette Cooper signed a petition offered to her by a canvasser named, quote, Margie. December 8th, the Church of Scientology in New York received two poorly written bomb threats. The church alerted the FBI, naming Paulette Cooper as, as a possible suspect. December 13th, a second threat was hand-delivered to the church. December 15th, Paulette Cooper moved to a new apartment. December 19th, Paulette Cooper's cousin was attacked by an armed intruder while staying at her old apartment. They thought it was her. Yeah. February 1973, anonymous flyers started to appear all over Paulette's new apartment building, accusing her of all kind of weird sexual stuff, including pedophilia. Maybe even stuff we talked about at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Pot getting, getting turned on by insects and amputees <laughs> and parts of the body not made for reproductive reasonings. Mm. Scandalous. Like elbows and shoulders and whatnot. You know, the things people are typically into. Yeah. Knuckles. Big fan of knuckles. Like knuckles? I love <laughs> to crack knuckles. Love a good set of knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me want to blue chew more than a good set of knuckles. <laughs> I do crack my knuckles a lot, actually. So it's, not, it's not a fetishy thing. It's just. Do you like to crack other people's knuckles? Oh. You like Whew. to stick to your own. I make me hot. Hey, girl, I'll crack your knuckles. <laughs> that worked in college. They called me old knuckle cracker. <laughs> old knuckle cracker, Mike. All right, please stop. Let's go on. Paulette suspected her ex-boyfriend had been the one who provided church, the church with, um, with certain details that were mentioned in the letter. Um, and there were some details in it that hinted at that first bomb threat. Soon after, she received a federal grand jury subpoena and learned that she was a prime suspect in the bomb threats. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah. At the hearing, the prosecutor revealed that her fingerprint was found on the second bomb threat letter. Both letters were linked to Cooper's typewriter. 
This is interesting because remember old Nibs? Yeah, of course. So he, forget a guy named Nibs. He, yeah. he bounced back and forth. Like we said, he he thought he was going to get that financial gain from being uh, being Elrond's son. Didn't get it. And then it, it sounded like he was like always trying to get back and back and forth, like trying to get in his dad's good graces and then not. Okay. For a time that he was not involved, he started talking to Paulette Cooper. And then once it was, he figured out that she was like a big time enemy. It was like, oh, I can get back in and get her. Oh. And he's how it's suspected. It's not proven, but it's suspected that he's how they got access to her her typewriter specifically. No kidding. Yeah. On May 17th, 1973, Paulette was indicted in connection with the threats. While she awaited trial, she depended heavily on several close friends, two of whom turned out to be agents of the church in Scientology. Quote unquote Paula had introduced been introduced to her by quote unquote Margie, who is that canvasser from December that got her to sign the um that petition. Right. So they had some people befriend her and become close friends. Very close friends. Damn. Yep. This is what I, I that's mean. That's a process too. You don't become close friends with someone overnight. No. Like that takes time. Put a lot Years. of work in there. Yeah. yeah. This is what I mean. This is what the fair game thing is. It's it's at any means necessary, and it's. I can't wait till they start fair gaming us because of these episodes. Well, the internet has kind of squashed that a little bit, and I think um, I think it's it's certain people that that are uh, have a lot of. People that are powerful, or that they see as powerful, that they go after, like the guy that wrote the the Going Clear book and yeah. um, the Going Clear documentary, and like they try to legally go after HBO a lot. And, yeah, you know, this kind of stuff is kind of I don't think it really happens too much anymore. Maybe to maybe to like high profile people that defect or something. But sure. So these two people befriended her. This this Paula and Margie. Paula disappeared, just completely disappeared out of her life. Soon after, Paulette discovered a photo of a woman who who resembled her in Scientology's Freedom magazine. So she's looking through magazines and sees this woman, and they're like, oh, wait a second. Oh, shit. Yeah. Quote, unquote, Jerry often stayed in her apartment and would eventually move in with her for several months, during which he reported everything to the Guardian office. So this guy... I'm not sure if he was like a boyfriend or just like a really close friend that mm-hmm. talked his way into moving in with her, but the whole time he was a Scientology person. They got their hooks in all over the place here. Yep. In one memo, he noted that if Paulette became depressed enough to commit suicide, quote, wouldn't this be a great thing for Scientology? Jeez. Just some terrible people. On several occasions, he tried to talk her into standing with him on a dangerous ledge of her 33rd floor apartment. Uh, Because that's a great idea, ever, even if it is with your actual friend. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Jerry disappeared after Paulette found his name in a Scientology publication and confronted him about it. So he just vanished. Later, former Scientology operatives would identify him as a man using the alias Don Alverzo, which was the church's most senior spy at the time and was also a big player in Operation Snow White which we had a little bit about him in there, but we had to kind of gloss over it for the sake of this episode. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Getting a little intense, but he was a big player in that too. So that's what I mean. It's like this is all going on at the same time. So th- that guy is living with her, you know, trying to 
talk her into going up on buildings and shit. And then, then he's rolling over to yeah. do Operation Snow White stuff. It's crazy. Well, he could have just pushed her off the ledge and, you know, gone back inside and say she jumped. There wouldn't be any proof to the contrary. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, they just continued this smear campaign. In March, a smear letter was sent to her parents. Similar letters addressed to her boyfriend, which also threatened his career. And it would have, those would eventually destroy their relationship. She never went to trial for this stuff. Um, she made a deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office in which she admitted no guilt. On September 16, 1975, the U.S. Attorney's Office formally threw out the case. It, it, she avoided trial, but she still feared that the indictment becoming public would damage her career. She failed a polygraph test early on. But as which, we know from past episodes, yeah. those can't really be held up in the court of law, and they're bullshit. Right. Because, they could back then, though, couldn't well, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Hear she, more about that in Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky, available in the archives. <laughs> but, she, um, but she passed the truth serum test shortly before the indictment was dropped. Which, what's the what's truth that? serum test? They give you truth serum? So It's sodium pentothal. Yeah. Yeah, and then they question you while you're under because at that time... Can we do a bonus episode where one of us takes that? I don't know how you would get your hands on sodium pentothal. We got, we got, I got connections. All right, no. yeah. That would be wild. Um, That'd be a fun show. Dennis, I know dentists used it uh, because, yeah, that mythical Michael Jackson episode, <laughs> The Truth <laughs> Serum, comes up. I don't remember that being in it. Yeah, the first I, I also was 117 pages of notes that we read. Yeah, so that first kid for that Michael Jackson episode someday will be released. Yep. Can't wait. I don't <laughs> think anyone has ever told us no on wanting to <laughs> hear that. So it's just this guy over here doesn't want Oh, I don't care. I'll do it. Whatever. Harassment of Cooper continued into 1974. Her father's office received copies of pages from the diaries she kept as a teenager and still had in her possession, which is super fucking creepy. how they get those? Or the guy that was living there, I'm yeah. sure, right? I didn't even think of that. Fuck. Yeah. In early 1975, Guardian's office agents broke into the office of Cooper's college psychiatrist and stole her records. Later that year, Cooper began receiving copies of her medical records in the mail from anonymous senders. This is just off That's the chart nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's like just psychological fucking torture. Torture, yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, it's literally what the fair game law says. Destroy this person. In 1976, Hubbard and the Guardian office were frustrated by their failure to silence her because she, I mean, she kept going. She was like, fuck this, you know. Good for her. out about him. Yeah. yeah. Um, they developed a new campaign to discredit her named Operation Freakout. Operation what, Mike? Freakout, freakout. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hurts my throat to do. <laughs> you do it so well, though. Its goal was to have Cooper, quote, incarcerated in a mental institution or jail or at least hit her so hard that she drops her attacks. That's a quote from a memo. About no, that. no, no. Not today. The plan included staging multiple incidents involving imposters, false reports and planted items. Central to the plot was another series of bomb threat letters, one concerning the treatment of Israel, which was delivered to an Arab embassy. Another would be addressed to uh, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. The new campaign included another scheme to get Cooper's fingerprint on a piece of paper. She ex- suspected that an attempt was made to get her fingerprint when a stranger approached her in a bar with a clipboard. And around the same time, she learned that someone impersonating her had made phone calls to her friends. 
So the clipboard was probably like whatever that gimmick she signed earlier with yeah. Margie, right? Mm -hmm. like, the original she, fingerprint. Yeah, yeah, that makes she was sense. Smart to that. Yeah. Uh, in the end, Operation Freakout was never implemented. Um, Operation it, what? Freakout, freakout, <laughs> not today. Uh uh. Oh yeah, dig it. <laughs> Snap into a slim gym. <laughs> Yeah, at least not fully. They, I mean, it sounded like they tried to do some of it, but not all of it. It's it sounded like she could have complicated the plan by moving to Los Angeles to assist with her defense in in a lawsuit that she had going against Scientology. An affidavit by former Scientologists alleges that in 1977 the church was plotting to assassinate her, but there's no uh, other sources cor corroborate this despite tons of documentation about attempts to ruin her life and her reputation. Mm. She was ultimately vindicated when the FBI raided Scientology offices in 1977 and recovered documents relating to, to the operation and all the harassment of her and everything. Did they charge anyone with anything? Well, we're going to get to some charges. I, rela relating to her, yeah. not that I know of, no. While all this was going on, so all this shit with uh, Operation Freakout. Operation what? Freak. <laughs> I like how like you paused. <laughs> freakout, freakout, oh yeah, dig it. While that's going on in uh in Operation Snow White, Hubbard had a stroke in 1975, and and sailing around on the Apollo was officially over. Because he keep went back out the fucking sea and was doing his shit. <laughs> they missed pitching time. people overboard. He's like, I gotta get back out there. <laughs> so much fun. Love chipping paint. <laughs> Watching them chip paint. So it was it was officially over. And he set up shop in Clearwater, Florida, purchasing the eleven story Fort Harrison Hotel for two point three million dollars and the old bank of Clearwater building for around five hundred thousand dollars. He bought that shit all in cash. I love Clearwater. I don't know if I can ever go back there now. I'll pro I'm probably a suppressive person. Uh, <laughs> you know, follow me around when I get off the plane. It is gorgeous. It's yeah. nice. I love it down there. Yeah, he, he set up shop and made it the official headquarters of Scientology in the U.S. I, you know, he bought it in cash and because obviously all this had to be done in secret. He couldn't himself couldn't be connected to any of it. I mean, he wasn't wanted or anything because... Well, we'll get into it in a minute, but he, they just wanted him for questioning still yeah. at this point. But still, he, you know, he... He didn't want to answer questions. No, no, no. <laughs> but soon the secret got out that he was back in the U.S. because while he was getting fit for a new suit, the tailor mentioned that he was a big science fiction fan and Hubbard just couldn't help himself and told the tailor who he was. <laughs> He's probably like, like gritting his, his his mouth trying to keep it shut and all. <laughs> that's, that's me. That's me. I'm L. Ronnie. I wrote Buckskin Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> well, when a guy's got his hands that close to your junk, I feel like you just, you, you're often feeling the need to be honest and truthful with someone like that. Okay. He's fucking measuring your, you know, your taint and whatever to make everything fit <laughs> properly. So the, the tailor was a big fan of, of Hubbard too. He's like, oh shit, you know? So he went back to his wife to tell her, then she told her friends and soon reporters were at Hubbard's door, like asking him questions, you yeah. know? So once again, he fled to La Quinta, California, to a grapefruit farm where he started filming movies. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of movies was he filming? Uh, a lot of nonsense. One of them... Um, With all that extra money, what are you going to do? Yeah. 
one of them I know involved uh, the bombing of an FBI office. So maybe back to <laughs> oh, that that's magic. Real smart. Maybe back to that magic trying to will something into existence. <laughs> Motherfucker. But there he had a certain young messenger member working as his cameraman named David Miscavige. Get yeah. used to that name, folks. You're gonna hear yeah. it a lot the next yeah. week or two. Yeah, it's like a dun 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 moment. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Hubbard took a liking to Miscavige and and appointed him to the head of the messengers. On October 26, 1979, five of the Scientologists involved in Operation Snow White were sentenced to four years in jail, with four of the convicted taken immediately. Mary Sue Hubbard was sentenced to five years, and the next day, four remaining Scientologists were sentenced. And that was dopey, sleepy, and happy, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> three of the four sentence three of the four were sentenced to five years in jail and the fourth was fined a thousand dollars and sent to jail for six months i think all these assholes belong in jail for a long time yeah so it's only a thousand dollar fine in six months or uh in jail for six months that last one that's easy i don't know what their role in it was sure. specifically i know like in the in the uh, like the investigation and the court documents, Hubbard was named as a um, an unindicted conspirator yeah. for this, which they, means he was involved. Unindicted co-conspirator, he's involved, but they don't have enough to right. personally indict him. Like they, meanwhile, he's making movies about FBI buildings getting blown up. <laughs> they knew damn well that he was behind this whole mm. thing, but his name was never on anything. It was all linked back to Mary Sue. So what can you do? Yeah. Put my wife in prison. Sorry. Yeah. yeah and he's out there making movies this whole time. <laughs> oh, he didn't show up to court for her sentencing? Oh, fuck no. He never <laughs> saw her again Jesus. after this shit. That was it. Um, I'm starting to think L. Ron Hubbard's not a very nice person. <laughs> or a good individual. Why would you say <laughs> such a thing? Wow. it's a twist in this plot. Like the messengers, there would be... Um, like letters would come out there, like updates on the case, like, hey, Mary Sue's facing, because she was facing 17 years in jail and it got knocked down to five. But, um, you know, it'd be like, hey, your wife, uh, Mary Sue's facing 17 years in jail and shit. And the messengers would just cut that part out of the letter <laughs> or just throw it the fuck away wow. so he didn't even see it. Yeah. Because they, they say they needed, he needed to be kept on his lines or whatever the fuck that mm. means. Don't throw off his e meter. Yeah, exactly. Guy's fucking clear. You can't go giving him bad news. Yeah. Soon after, a court ruled that documents related to the case could be released to the public, and the media ran wild with it. Feeling the heat from the media and facing a possible indictment for the harassment campaign against Paulette Cooper, Hubbard would flee one last time. He disappeared with two of his most trusted messengers, Patton and Broker. For the first few years of of the 1980s, Hubbard and the brokers lived on the move, going from uh, the Pacific Northwest in an RV and living for a while in apartments in Newport Beach and Los Angeles. Hubbard used this time in hiding to write his first new works of science fiction for nearly 30 years, Battlefield Earth and Mission Earth. A great movie with Travolta. Yeah. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. The cover surprise, surprise, the, I haven't seen it. The cover of the movie is fucking ridiculous. Oh, it's so bad. Over the next six years, the messengers were led by David Miscavige, who would run Scientology, supposedly getting orders from Hubbard and being the only ones who knew his true whereabouts. 
The last words anyone would hear from Hubbard came on January 19, 1986, where he announced that he was promoting himself to the rank of admiral. Well, shit, why not, right? <laughs> I guess. He's been a Commodore for long enough. Yeah. He's gained the necessary experience. Get out there, come on. <laughs> and the brokers to loyal officers. Five days later, on January 24, 1986, Hubbard supposedly died from another stroke. Why do you say supposedly? Is there any question about what actually happened to him? Yeah, I mean, there's not nothing confirmed. I mean, he's out yeah. on the run, and then all of a sudden, six days later, after he he announced himself to be uh, admiral, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little admiral <laughs> driving around in the RV in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> it's a little. There's some questions about it out there. Shortly after, David Miscavige gathered 1,800 Scientologists to the Hollywood Palladium and told them that Hubbard had finished his earthly research. And in order to continue his levels of OT, Hubbard had to discard his body and move on to the next level. Oh, yeah. A few months later, Miscavige declared that the written promotions of the brokers was a fraud. And with help of fellow messengers, he purged any high-ranking Scientologists in his way and took over complete control of the church. And that's where we'll pick up on part four. We'll land Crazy. this final part four. We'll land this fucking thing with David Miscavige, all the high profile defectors. If you can't abuse. tell, Ian is over this research. Oh man, <laughs> how does that all work though? How do you take over a church? Like, I'd be curious how all that worked behind the scenes, like how the real estate holdings and all that was titled, and that's what I'm how gonna, he actually did that. So I'm gonna try to get into that next yeah, week. That's it. That's interesting. Oh, that's tried, a hell of a teaser. How you can take over a church like that and all their holdings and everything? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to deep dive into that next week and wherever else this fucking thing takes me. Um, no doubt. I'm doing it. It's been a little bit of a, a journey. It's not boring, though. It's an, it's it's, it's just such a strange story. It's really interesting. This story, this part was really fun, I thought. Yeah, last week was a little tough with all the, the nonsense tone scale and all that fucking ridiculous shit. But. Yeah, but this week was mostly truthful stuff like Xenu and <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The blue streak, the green dragon, oh, yeah. and the red, uh, red, red, what, uh, red, 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 red dragon or something. If you're a I'll famous kill. race car driver, who did, who did uh, Dale Earnhardt come back as after his crash? I think, no, I think he was Dale Earnhardt. Oh, that makes <laughs> sense. He was. And again, crashed and died. This guy needs to find something fucking else to do with his life. Come on, man. You think he'd Maybe burn. he was evil Knievel. He died. Maybe he was. Doing he all of his stunts. Be whoever he wants to be. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Okay. I think I was Jim Morrison. You might have been. Yeah. Bonus episode. Tune in, though, to hear that story about my life as Jim Morrison. That's not a college nickname. You really were Jim Morrison. No, yeah, that's not a joke. Yeah. I was really Jim Morrison in a past life. <laughs> and I came back as, you know, podcast star Mike. <laughs> oh, man. It's <laughs> great. Ian, Ian, you got anything else for uh, part three of Scientology? No, I'm trying to think if I... Oh, you know what? Just real quick. I said that the Corgi became clear. Yeah. Yeah, Vixie. Elrond's son, Quentin, there, it's like a whole sidebar with him, but he ended up committing suicide, and it like just made a real mood around there. Like the, you know, just really like... While they were on the ship? Uh, Afterwards, mm. when they were off for a period of time, the Corgis then, for whatever reason, the Corgi was then declared as clear. So anytime the the corgi barked at somebody, 
it was like there's something wrong with that person. Oh like the oh thing was wrong. Boy. So people would come over to their house and like the corgi would bark and they would people would like legit freak out, like, What I I'm not doing anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> Please don't throw me overboard. <laughs> like they were afraid they were gonna have to like go audit again or something. Wow. Because the corgi was now clear. SP alert, SP alert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> That's all I got. Fucking corgi. That was a good tidbit. Yeah. Dave, you got anything else to put no, a bow on no. this one? No, this is out of control. All right. For Patreon, uh, a quick clear up from a uh, mistake I read last uh, week. Maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't remember, but I incorrectly uh, said somebody, a patron's name. So thank you very much. And a shout out to uh, Glasshopper. So groovy. I appreciate it. I think I called you a grasshopper or a cockroach or whatever I did. But whoever, <laughs> whoever has those insect fetish uh, fetishes probably loved that mistake that I made. But Just blew a load all over their phone. <laughs> right. Anyways, no, she's a good listener. She's in the Discord. She's she's really cool. So uh, apologies and a shout out to Glasshopper. So groovy. Also, new patrons this week. Uh, thank you very much to Emery, Rachel Cuthriel, Greg Easterly, and Florencia Val Miller. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you guys are interested in becoming patrons, we are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. Three bonus episodes a month. It's a ton of fun. Uh, Ian, what do you, shout out you got? For iTunes, I have nothing tonight. We've gotten a, a bunch of reviews again, but nothing, uh, nothing written. I don't know if it's their thinks like it's taken a long time to upload again or or what but if it uploads we'll get to you and then i mean we've had a bunch on um on Castbox, a bunch of comments what the hell was that one comment on Castbox? it called one of us out or raking somebody it was either dave or me probably <laughs> me yeah with your la attitude or yeah whatever. Yeah. Say I'm going into business for myself. They feel bad for you. We don't know for sure that it was me, but I'm assuming it was me. <laughs> going to business for myself and don't care about you guys, and the listener feels bad for you. I get well, it. I get it. Yeah. As long as you it's listen, pain you know, in the ass. Whatever. Pain in the ass putting up with me. But yeah, we've had a lot of a lot of good ones on there. It's been cool. Downloads are uh, on the rise. Good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. So I I appreciate everybody that's uh that's been listening and thank you very, very much. Cool, Dave. Anything? Uh, any shout outs? Uh, just a shout out to our friends that closed the hatch. They sent us some merch, uh, great shirts. So thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. They're awesome they're on shirts. Spotify. It's a really good tune. So uh, look them up. Close the hatch on Spotify. Good stuff. All right, appreciate All right. it. Uh, we are on the socials at Necronomapod, Twitter, Facebook. Instagram. I think where you can find us on YouTube there as well. So um, thanks for all the support. We appreciate it. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.